in my office, I have some different pictures of my family. And I don't have those pictures in there because I forget what my family looks like. I promise you, if they were lined up in a police lineup, I could point out which ones are mine, and most of you could too. I have those pictures in there because I love them, and I want to focus on them. You know, the, the Lord also gives us physical signs of certain things that help us remember who He is. They help us remember what He has done. They help us remember that He loves us. So, for example, think of a wonderful sunset. This is in my backyard, by the way, in Bartow here. Uh, a wonderful sunset that helps you remember that we serve an awesome creator God. Or remember uh, a newborn child that helps us remember that our Lord is the giver of life. Or perhaps a warm embrace from a Christian brother or sister that reminds us of the gift and power of Christ-like love which brings us together in unity. Well, today we're going to learn about the ordinances of the church. And we're going to learn that the ordinances of the church are physical symbols that help us remember and focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are gifts that God has given us to help us understand what he has done. And so I've cleverly entitled this, Understanding the Ordinances of the Church. And before we get into this sermon, I want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him, to supernaturally, miraculously speak to us by the power of his Holy Spirit in this place, in our hearts, in our minds, and our lives. So join me now in prayer. God, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, we don't have to try and figure out how to practice the ordinances, what the ordinances are. Lord, your word very clearly speaks to us on these topics. So thank you for giving us the ordinances of the church, which are a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in the lives of your people. Thank you for that gift. God, we pray that as we continue to worship, God, that you will bless us and you will receive all the glory. God, I pray for those of us who are walking in open, unrepentant sin. God, may you draw us to repentance. For those who are... Uh, fearful in their faith god may you give them courage for those who are confused may you give them clarity and god for those in this room who may be lost in their sins deadened in their sins god separated from you in their sins god i pray you save them by the power of jesus christ may your holy spirit draw them to repentance even now may you receive all the glory this morning we pray in jesus name amen well, at First Baptist Church Bartow, we believe that there are two ordinances of the church. Different faith traditions have different interpretations. Most Protestant churches, when I say Protestant, I mean those that, that broke away from the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s and went back to what they believed, and I believe, to be a more biblical faith. They practiced two ordinances of the church, and we're going to talk about those this morning. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, before we get into these specific ordinances, let's talk about what the ordinances are. So our first area of concentration is this. The ordinances of the church are opportunities to focus on the gospel. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. If you have a great memory, you don't have to take notes. They're the same points from 2019. Okay? If anybody can remember my sermon from 2019, then good for you. 
The ordinances of the church are opportunities to focus on the gospel. Now, many of you might even wonder, what, what is an ordinance when it comes to the church? You may have heard the word ordinance when it comes to, like, a city ordinance. Like, you can't have your bushes any higher than this, and you can't paint your house this color, whatever it might be. That's not what we're talking about this morning. An ordinance is something that is commanded or decreed. And so we call these ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, because they were ordained or decreed or commanded, not by a legal official, not by a body of government officials, but by our Lord Jesus Christ. He told us to do these things. These are two ordinances that are directly from the lips of Jesus himself. And we'll see that later in the sermon. So in case we don't already know this, anytime Jesus says to do something, we should pay attention and we should obey. So these two ordinances, or sometimes they're called sacraments, okay? We believe these are the two sacraments of the church as well. These were ordained by Jesus himself. By the way, that fancy word sacrament just simply means it's something that is sacred because Jesus said to do it. It's important. It's holy. It's important to our faith. It's ordained by Jesus. It is a sacrament. So they were not only ordained by Jesus, but they were also beautiful reminders of the gospel. And they are opportunities for us to focus on the gospel. Listen to what the Bible says about this. So speaking of the Lord's Supper, Jesus says in Luke twenty-two nineteen, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Of me, Jesus wants us to remember him, remember his work when we take the Lord's Supper. Also, we'll talk more about this later, but the Apostle Paul says of baptism in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, Paul's talking about baptism, and we're going to go to that passage again later for more clarity. But the ordinances help us focus on Jesus, and they help us, help us focus on the work of Jesus. We'll see this even more as we explore the ordinances in just a minute. Now, there were some Christians who came before us, as I mentioned, the Protestant reformers. Not everybody knows what that means, and that's okay. What that is is a group of Christians who tried to get back to the Bible in the 15 to 1600s, and they used to say that the ordinances were visible words of the gospel. Visible words of the gospel. I like the way they said that. You see, the reality is we hear the gospel preached with audible words, right? You hear it. But we see the gospel preached in the display of the visible ordinances. We see the display of the gospel coming forth. So we hear the gospel preached through sermons and our Bible study, whether it's in small groups, Sunday school classes, personal Bible study, we hear the gospel preached that way. We sing about the gospel through musical worship, at least here at our church. We sing about the gospel. We don't sing just to sing. We sing about Jesus and his work. We fellowship with each other because the gospel has changed us. We give tithes and offerings for the sake of the work of the gospel because Jesus has changed us. And we see the gospel displayed in the ordinances of the church. So let's look now at the ordinances. So first, which is actually point number two, so I guess I should say second, 
But first, we remember the gospel in the Lord's Supper. We remember the gospel in the Lord's Supper. The beginnings of the Lord's Supper really go back all the way to the Old Testament, but in the sense that we understand it in the New Testament way, it goes all the way back to the last meal that Jesus and his apostles would share directly before his crucifixion. Jesus and the apostles were all Jewish, and they were preparing to celebrate a Jewish meal, a Jewish celebration called the Passover. And they're joined together to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover meal remembered God's grace over the people of Israel when all the firstborn of Egypt died. And it remembered God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. Now, if you want to know more about this, just go back and read the book of Exodus. Read about how the angel of death came from the Lord, killed all the firstborn in Egypt, but the angel of death passed over those Jewish homes that were marked by the blood of the Lamb. If you don't see the gospel at work in the Passover story, you've got to read it again, okay? The, the, the blood of, of the Lamb spared people from death, and they passed over them. This is the Passover meal that they celebrated as Jewish people. And see, the apostles did not understand fully, as they shared this meal with Jesus before his crucifixion, they did not fully understand that a greater Passover would be found in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And this is the meal they're celebrating. And Jesus is trying to get them to focus not only on the meal itself, which was important to the Jewish people, but on the greater significance of the greater Passover that would come. And so they gathered together, and Jesus spoke of what was to come at his crucifixion. Look at this account in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we see here in this account from the Bible, in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus brought attention to two elements of the supper. These are significant. He talks about the bread, and he talks about the cup. The bread represented the body of Jesus, which would be beaten and he would be killed. His body would be killed at his crucifixion. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we call it bread. It's a little tiny, like a chiclet-sized piece of stale bread. But the bread itself is not what's significant, is it? It's what the bread represents, which is the broken body, the killed body of Jesus. And then Jesus spoke about the cup. The cup is generally grape juice or wine, and it's uh, referred to as the fruit of the vine at times. The cup represented the blood of Jesus, which would be poured out when Jesus was killed on the cross. So when we take the bread, and we take the cup, and we take the juice, we remember the work of Jesus 
Because we remember that his body was beaten and crucified. And we remember that his blood was spilled. That is the significance of the bread and the cup. Now one may ask, well, why should we focus on the death of Jesus? Well, it's important that we remember the death of Jesus because his death on the cross pays the penalty for our sins. It is his death that pays the penalty. His death on the cross brought us new life because of Jesus' death. It is that we can be saved from the curse of sin. The Lord's Supper helps us remember the work of Jesus. Now, by the way, I think it's important. Some, again, some of us are from different faith traditions. Uh, I have a very uh, one-sided background. I grew up Baptist, and I'm still Baptist, okay? But I've read the Bible a lot, and I can promise you, I really believe, not just because I'm Baptist, because the Bible teaches this, we believe that the bread and the, and the juice, in our case, is bread and juice. It doesn't magically transform into flesh and blood. Okay, why do we believe that? One, because the Bible doesn't say that it transforms into flesh and blood, but also it's because Jesus said, do this in remembrance. Remembrance. It is a symbol that draws us to remember what Jesus did. Now, I think we need to be careful. We should not do this haphazardly, fancy word there. We should not do this just like flying by the seat of our pants, you know, like where we do it with Mountain Dew and Doritos. You know, I think we should, be, we should be solemn in our remembrance of this. It's a solemn, important, sacred, holy occasion. So we should take it with a sense of seriousness. But at the same time, it is, it is merely bread, kind of a cracker-type bread, and juice. But we also need to remember what the Apostle Paul said about the Lord's Supper. He speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30, he said this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Now remember, when it speaks here of falling asleep, Paul's talking about some have died from this. So let's talk about this for just a moment. As we think about the Lord's Supper, it may be helpful to recognize that we take a few different looks. I'm going to say we take these different looks at the Lord's Supper. So we have four looks that we take. I have these on the screen for you. At the Lord's Supper, we take a past look at the Lord's crucifixion. We're looking backward. That is a very appropriate thing for us to do, and this is an area that most churches, I think, do well. They look backward at the, Lord's, at the crucifixion when they take the Lord's Supper. We remember the work of Jesus on the cross. The Lord's Supper helps us do that because we're saying this is the 
broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. After all, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But we not only take a past look, we also take a present look at the Lord's covenant. We take a present look at the Lord's covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus. And we have a new covenant with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The way that people relate to God since Jesus came is new and fresh and different than it was in days of old. The gospel has exploded to reach the, the world all over by the power of Jesus Christ and the power of God's Holy Spirit. This is a new thing, a current thing that is still happening today. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're taking a present look at the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. Also, when we take the Lord's Supper, we take a future look at the Lord's coming. Paul said in verse 26 of the passage we just read, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take the Lord's Supper, we look forward. Jesus is coming back. The Lord's Supper is not just a reminder that he died. It's also a reminder he's coming again. And he's going to make all things new. I'm excited about that, can't you tell? That is the Lord's Supper. It shows us that we have a future look at his coming. Additionally, Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 29, we've already read this, but he says, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus says he will share a meal with his people once again in his Father's kingdom. You see, Jesus and Paul are both pointing us to a future meal with Jesus in heaven that will be a celebration of all that Jesus has done and all that he will be doing when he comes to make all things new. That'll be the best fellowship meal of all time. I don't know if there'll be fried chicken there or not, but whatever is there, it'll be incredible as we celebrate with our Lord Jesus. When we take the bread and the cup, we look forward to remember we will share a meal with Jesus and all of his people in glory. And it will be a, an inauguration of eternity with God. Those are the three looks we've covered thus far, but there's one that we often forget, but the Apostle Paul would not have us forget this in this passage. Number four, we take an inward look at our conscience. We take an inward look at our conscience. Paul speaks in this passage that I just read of not taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. He says that we are to examine ourselves to see that we are in good fellowship with the Lord and with our brothers and sisters in Christ before we take the Lord's Supper. You see, we should, we should uh, be very serious about this is not just something we do um, just flying by the seat of our pants. It's not just something we do as a routine. This is something that the Lord told us to do to remember his crucifixion, to remember the new covenant, and to look forward to his return. And the Apostle Paul says, some have even gotten sick, and some have even died from taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You might say, well, pastor, does that still happen today? I don't know. I don't know why people get sick and why people die all the time. But I tend to think that perhaps this still does happen today. Because Paul is saying this is something that has happened when people don't take the Lord's Supper seriously. 
So listen, church, this is not meant to scare us. It's meant to draw our attention to the importance of what the Lord's Supper is, to remember why we celebrate it in the first place and to reflect inwardly before we do an outward display of our faith. So that's why we believe at First Baptist Church that only faithful, baptized believers should take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not for everyone. It's for faithful followers of Jesus who have been biblically baptized and who have been saved from their sins by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we take this ordinance seriously and we take it with reverence. So we must remember the gospel at the Lord's Supper. Our second ordinance is baptism. Is everybody still with me? Say, I'm here. Oh, that's a pretty good number. We're going to keep going. So we see the gospel in baptism. That's our next point. We see the gospel in baptism. Baptism is a picture of the work of Jesus and the life of a person. Now we see this in several different ways. First, we see the gospel because Jesus was baptized himself before he began his ministry. You may remember, uh, you can look, and if you want to write this down, you can write down Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, or John 1. But in all those, we read about uh, John the Baptizer. You guys may remember John the Baptizer. I called him that instead of John the Baptist because he wasn't like a ba- in a part of a Baptist church. He was someone who baptized people. John the Baptizer. When we are baptized, we are like Jesus because he was baptized. The second way we see this is that our sins are washed away, not by baptism, but by Jesus. Our sins are washed away by Jesus, and baptism is a picture of the washing away of sins. It's not the actual water. This is just regular Bartow water up here, okay? Just regular water. It's not the washing away of our sins. It's a picture that our sins have been washed away. So we identify with Jesus in that second way in that we say, Jesus has washed away my sins. A third way we identify is at baptism, someone goes underwater and to this day I've always brought every one of them back up. They go down and they come back up, which is a picture of what? Of the death and burial of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. It is a symbol of the death and burial, dead to sins, alive in Jesus Christ. We identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection when we are baptized. Listen again. We read this earlier. Listen again to the words of Paul from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 5. 3 through 5. It says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul is saying baptism is a symbol that we are united with Jesus by dying to sins and rising to new life. As Jesus died and came back to life, so also in the power of Jesus we die to sins and come to new life. We weren't literally buried with Jesus. None of us were around back then, I don't think. Some of us are pretty old, but we're not that old, right? We we weren't literally buried with Jesus. 
And we didn't literally rise with Jesus then. However, baptism is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. It's a physical picture, something we can see now, of something that has happened in our hearts and in our lives by the power of Jesus. So when someone goes into the water, it's a picture of the literal death of Jesus and our spiritual death to sin. When someone comes out of the water, it's a picture of the literal resurrection of Jesus and our spiritual resurrection to new life. Baptism pictures the work of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. I dare say most of you can understand what I'm saying here. I think, you, I think you're able to grasp what we're talking about, but we want to talk a little bit more about baptism. At baptism, we are also being baptized like other people who follow Jesus in our church. I think we often miss this part, that we are identifying with other Christians to say, I am one of you. Baptism is a physical, public display. It is to let everybody, we don't do baptism in secret. Uh, We do it publicly for other Christians to know, I am a follower of Jesus. Now, there are places in the world where you can't do it as publicly as we do because people might be killed for their faith, But even in those situations, there are secret gatherings of a public group of Christians. Other people are witnessing this, and they are saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I am one of you. And to be a member at First Baptist Church, there's a few things you have to do, but one of the main things you have to do is be saved from your sins and be baptized as a follower of Jesus to say, I am a follower of Jesus. Everybody, I want you to know, Jesus has changed me, and I want to be part of his church. So in baptism, we are showing a picture of the gospel by saying that we are like others in our church. We follow Jesus too. That's what baptism does, among other things. Now before we leave this, I want to answer a few questions about baptism that you might wonder, or perhaps you've heard someone else ask. It's important to realize that, as I've already said, baptism is not what makes someone a Christian. Baptism is not what saves you from your sins. You might say, well, that's your opinion. Well, no, that's what the Bible teaches. How do we know that? Well, a few different ways. For one, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 teaches us you're not saved by works. You can't do anything to save yourself. These three that were baptized this morning made a conscious decision to go up there and be baptized. Now, uh, some of them are, one of them in particular was bigger than me. And I can tell you, if that young man, if Xavier did not want to be baptized, it would be difficult for me to baptize him. Because he wanted to be baptized. He's saying, I'm going to do this to display my faith. You see, it was something he did, but the Bible says when it comes to our salvation, it's not what we do, it's what Jesus does. And so we're not saved by our works. It is a gift of God. Ephesians, you can jot down Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But what's more than that, remember the thief on the cross. This is such a good, helpful example. You may remember when Jesus was crucified, There were two criminals that were crucified with him. One of those criminals was mocking Jesus. And the other one said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Remember me. That's all he said. And Jesus said to him, 
today you will be with me in paradise. That man was not baptized. He was absolutely 100% not baptized, but Jesus said, you will be in paradise because Jesus saved that man from his sins because all he needed was Jesus. And he said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. You see, baptism, as with the other ordinance, the Lord's Supper, is a symbol. It is a symbol of the work of Jesus in a Christian's life. It is a picture of the forgiveness of sins. Not the actual forgiveness of sins, but a picture, a sign, a symbol of what Jesus has done. Another example is that baptism can be thought of like a wedding ring. Some of you can't see this, so I have a big, this is not my wedding ring. Mine's better than that. I like mine. But anyway, this is a picture. This is a wedding ring. Now, I have taken my wedding ring off. It's not on right now. I have an impression because I've worn it for almost 22 years. Am I still married, anybody? Yes. My wife's sitting right down here. I am still married even though this ring is off. If I take and give this ring to someone else, does that make them married? No, no. So also with baptism. You can be a follower of Jesus without being baptized. You can be baptized and not actually be a follower of Jesus. But baptism is a symbol. It is a symbol. And let me just say this too. As with a wedding ring, it is an important signal. Symbol. What if I said to my wife, hey, I'm going to go out with my buddies tonight. I'm going to take my wedding ring off and leave it at home. You think, how do you think she'll like that, right? She wouldn't be very happy about that. Now, she trusts me, and I mean, if I did that, she might think there was a good reason. But generally speaking, it's an important symbol because it identifies an important reality. So I don't want to minimize the importance of baptism. It is extremely important because it's a symbol, and it is also an act of obedience because Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples baptizing baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a picture to everyone that this person has been changed by Jesus. They love Jesus, and they want to identify with Jesus and with other Christians. Also, we believe that baptism shows that that someone has experienced the work of Jesus. So, we don't baptize infants or very young children in our church because we want to be sure that they are followers of Jesus. Uh, if someone's a, a brand new baby, they have not yet made a conscious decision to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus, to receive forgiveness of sins. We don't, that's why we don't do that. And even when we do baptize people that are under 18, which we do, by the way, we did that today. But when we do that, we talk to them. We make sure they understand the gospel. We make sure they understand what it means to be saved from their sins. Make sure they speak to their parents. If their parents are followers of Jesus, say, hey, do you think your child has turned from their sins and turned to Jesus? We want them to understand that Jesus saves us and then we're baptized as a picture of what Jesus did. By the way, that's not just something we do with children. We do that with adults as well. Uh, I've had adults my age who say, I want to be baptized, and I get to talking to them. I think they're not, they don't even know who Jesus, what Jesus has done. <laughs> we need to talk to them about being saved from their sins first. But we believe that non-Christian children, non-Christian adults, they're not to be baptized. Baptism is only for followers of Jesus. Additionally, we believe that baptism should be by immersion. Now, I want to say something quickly here. I realize I'm covering a lot, so everybody just take a breath go, ah, 
good, all right. If you're going to be a little late for lunch, it's okay. We're going to have the Lord's Supper, okay? <laughs> but as we talk about baptism, we believe it's by immersion. Why do we believe that? Well, the Greek word baptizo, sound familiar? The Greek word baptizo usually, some pastors will say always, that's not quite accurate, but usually it means to immerse. It doesn't mean to sprinkle or to pour or to dip. It means to immerse. So that's one reason. A second reason we believe it's by immersion is because most of the examples that we have of baptism in the New Testament seem to be by immersion. So for instance, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. In just a couple weeks, we're going to learn in the book of Acts that Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, and it seems that it was by immersion. The third reason we believe it's by immersion, think about this. It most closely pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You can't signify that with sprinkling or pouring. It's, it's through immersion that you symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Those are a few answers to questions about who should be baptized, why do we baptize the way we do, and what does baptism accomplish? And that takes us to our bottom line. The ordinances of the church are God-given reminders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ordinances of the church are God-given reminders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These were given to us by God. And what a precious gift they are to remember the work of Jesus so when a church practices the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper, they are, are obeying the command of Jesus and they are focusing on the work of Jesus. That is a gift from God. And we have two weekly challenges this week. I want to cover these quickly and then we're actually going to observe the Lord's Supper ourselves this morning. Weekly challenge number one, take opportunity to remind yourself of the gospel. Why would I say that? Well, Remember where we started. The ordinances were given to us to do what? To focus on the gospel. So I think it's important that we focus on the gospel. Not only in baptism and the Lord's Supper, but also in other ways in our lives. Read the word of God more to focus on the gospel. Sing about the Lord. You don't have to be in church to sing. Sing about the Lord through your week and remember the gospel. Talk about the gospel with your family and friends, take time to focus on the work of the gospel. Weekly challenge number two, celebrate the ordinances of the church. Participate in the ordinances of the church. Some of you say, Pastor, I've already been baptized. Well, good. That's, praise God for that. Maybe talk to those that you're close to, those that are in your small group, those who sit around you in worship service, not right now while I'm talking, but maybe afterward. And ask yourselves, and a, or ask them, tell me about when you were baptized. Tell me about how the Lord changed your life. Tell me about what God had, has done through you, your life. Ask them, and then if you find, about, find out about those who have not been baptized, encourage them. You can actually celebrate the ordinances of the church by encouraging others to follow in baptism. But also, we should take the Lord's supper together in reverence with a serious understanding of what Christ has done 
and we should teach others about it. We should teach our children. We should teach our, our grandchildren. We should spare them from taking the Lord's Supper when it's not right for them to do so. And we should celebrate and honor the Lord together in that process. So those are some ways that you can remember the gospel at work. I want to ask our deacons, if they would, to go ahead and, and come forward and be on this front pew as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper.